This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. And now to call the checkered flag, our chief announcer, who did call a great race today, Paul Page. A.J. Foyt down the main straightaway. The checkered flag is out. A.J.'s hand in the air. He is the winner. A.J. Foyt at Indianapolis has won his fourth 500-mile race. Here's the voice of the 500, Paul Page. And history is matched as the twin checkered flags come out for our second four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, Al Unser. Just a, one more turn to go. The crowd roaring. Rick Mears heads for number four. He's down the main straightaway. Here's Bob Jenkins. Rick Mears becomes the third four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, winning the Diamond Jubilee Edition, the 75th running of this great speed classic. Elio Castro and Evans with a strong runoff at turn number four. They are snaking their way down the straightaway. Elio to the high side and turn number one. Boyd, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castro and Evans. Elio takes the lead on a turn one. We have two laps to go with the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500. Elio Castro and Evans, a six-car length advantage over Alex Pillow. They make their way down the back straightaway. Four car length advantage. Get on your feet, turn number three. Everybody jumping for Elio Castro Nevis. The king of the dancing takes his way through turn number three. Throws up some dust. Hello, two colleagues behind him. They're all on their feet, but there's a lot of traffic in front. Elio Castro Nevis, the lead out of four. And the white flag will fly on the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500 mile race. And it's number one. And Malik Malone's going to get Elio Castro Nevis. It's not in turn one. Elio leads into the short shoe. Five cars ahead of our leader. A new team and a new life for Elio Castro Nevis. Ryan Hunter Ray is in front of Elio Castro Nevis. Two car length advantage down the back straightaway for the final time. All kinds of traffic now as they work their way into turn number four. But it's Elio Castro Nevis behind Ryan Hunter Ray trying to hold up Alex Below. Castro Nevis looking for number four, Chris. A two car length advantage. Elio Castro Nevis trying to become a four time winner out of turn four. Off turn four for the final time. Elio Castro Nevis comes to the start finish line. Twist checkers out and then there were four. I love Indianapolis. You guys don't understand. The fans, they give me energy. I'm serious. They don't understand. This is absolutely incredible. So love you guys. We did it. We did it. Yo, Adrian, we did it. Welcome to Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan, May in Indianapolis. How cool is that? Just gives you chills listening to that once again. Fantastic call by everyone at IMS Radio from last year. And our friend John Day sent that in and kind of remixed it a little bit, put in the music and the reverb for a, a really cool open to get us set again. Now, we still got another race before that. The GMR IndyCar Grand Prix coming up on Saturday, but it's all part of the month of May in Indianapolis, leading to the 106th Indianapolis 500. And even better, it's not just, we're not just talking about practice. We're talking about a points-paying IndyCar race coming up this Saturday afternoon here on the radio at 3.30, 3 o'clock airtime, and also on NBC and the special on the four-time winners is on NBC on Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock as well. What's it called again? Pennzoil presents the club? The club. Some, the club. And I'll give you a little backstory okay. about that. They were uh, they had this – I mean, I have a story that will be up tomorrow 
on uh, IndyCar.com. And actually, it may be up this evening. But they've got everybody together, and they were saying, what should we call this thing? We need something that fits. And Arnie Schrieben, one of the great listeners of this show, said, well, you know, they're Ooh. all in the club now. They're all in the club. And uh, Elio's in well the club. Done. So Arnie has named a network Arnie. television special. Good work, Arnie. Uh, that's Kurt Cavan, by the way. I'm Kevin Lee. Sam Romsa is in our MS Communications, drivehubler.com studios uh, tonight in downtown Indianapolis. You're welcome to join in at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. If you've sent a message that I didn't address, I tried to catch up on some backlog last night, but I know I missed some somewhere. And I think some people have emailed. I'll be honest, the email inbox, as you know, Kurt, anyone in the motorsports business is overflowing in the month of May. So it's very possible. I, I try to take some screenshots of things to go back to them. But I got a lot of balls in the air right now. And my organization skills are not fantastic to begin with. So if I didn't answer your question, feel free to send it in again, because I, I want to get to all these that we can, because I've seen a lot of good questions that I think make good topics on the show. And for social media, if you do the hashtag trackside, that is really helping. Although it does get me some horse racing when I just uh, shoot that up there and search for that. There's some horse racing questions, trackside related shows, but it still filters it quite nicely. And at least if I'm included on that, I know it's someone that listens to the radio show. We'll have Peacock coverage all weekend. You know, it kind of feels like the eve of on-track activity. It's not. It's Friday for IndyCar, but there is on-track action tomorrow. I know, for example, USF 2000 is on track tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., so they and Indy Pro 2000 will be testing throughout the day, and they actually start their official practice sessions late in the afternoon. Indy Lights isn't on track, I don't believe, until Friday, and then they're going to have a pair of races coming up this weekend 5.30 on Friday afternoon, and then I think maybe it's 1.30. It's early afternoon on Sunday. Uh, it's the race before the IndyCar race, so somewhere in that range. And that's on Peacock, just like all the IndyCar sessions are, and the race. We think if the race goes according to plan, then we should have time for about a 20-minute post-race show on NBC, which will be great. That means the national audience can see us button up the storyline so three o'clock airtime we've got a three-hour window on network television that's pretty cool in the month of may uh in about a 45 minute 40 minute pre-race i think kurt green flag is about 345 on saturday I think so yeah. yeah yeah and we expect uh... this go ahead go ahead uh, we expect this race to be a little bit under two hours so that's how we're kind of guesstimating this is probably usually about an hour and 55 minute race somewhere in that range so we should unless there are a lot of cautions and for good or not there's not normally many cautions in this race there's usually the pile up going into turn one uh to start the race or if there's some sort of a caution maybe there's one later and then it stays kind of green so we could have some some time to to really finish up the stories if not there will still be a peacock post-race show and any technical issues trust me I'm going to guess there's been a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations. We know it it didn't work. Uh, you know, sometimes things just don't work the way you planned, unfortunately. So if we need to finish up stories, we'll move to Peacock at 6 p.m. Eastern time and finish that up, and it'll be archived as well. And here's the other caveat that might make this more of a 
two hour and 15 minute race or I mean, I forgot to ask on the competition call. What if it rains? When does a timed element come into play today? But there is a pretty decent chance of rain on Saturday afternoon at this point. We're still three days away, so a lot can change. But that would certainly spice things up. It would spice things up. Getting back to the open for just a second, uh, I've you know these these opens are always great. Listening to the Indy Five Hundred calls, but I got to tell you, I had not, or at least in some time, I had not heard Mark Jane's call of last year's finish, and that was spectacular. I I literally did have goosebumps. I that doesn't happen mm-hmm. to me a lot, uh, but it certainly did on this one. So kudos to uh, to Mark on the call. He was on the Dan Dockett show today and just re- reminded me how good Mark is uh, at, at summing things up and, and being descriptive. So, you know, always, always encourage to listen to that, that IndyCar radio network and, and the fellows, uh, you know, Nick Yeoman, Jake Query, go on down the line and, and they, they just do such a really good job. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a busy day even tomorrow. Uh, a lot of cars on track, as you mentioned, the two lower divisions of the four that will race this weekend. And and I think you did hit it right uh, Friday for Indy Lights. That race is at 530. And on Saturday, they race it at 120. And green flag on the IndyCar race is at 345. So okay. you had all your how your numbers right. You sounded a little shaky on whether or not that was accurate. Uh and it is Friday, by the way, we'll get to all this tomorrow too, but Friday's IndyCar practice again, 9.30, 12.45, and then qualifying at four. I think you said that, but I wanted to just make sure we had that had set for the for everybody. No, I did not. I did not mention when the first IndyCar practice is, so it is in the morning on Fridays. Yeah, first practice at 9.30, 12.45, and qualifying at four o'clock and then almost immediately after qualifying we'll go into indy lights coverage when we have 10 minutes of dead air where we make the the shift in the booth and we'll see how quickly the elevator works and if i can get from a post qualifying interview up into the booth for the 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 time to uh open up the uh indy lights broadcast with charlie kimball on saturday afternoon big weekend for them too you know that they've it seems like the season's been going for a long time Charlie made this point today on our call. There will be as many points scored in a span of about 16 or 18 hours this weekend as there has been in the last three months. They've had two races. And they're going to have two races from Friday at 5.30 to Saturday at 1.30 in the afternoon. So, you know, those like a Christian Rasmussen and Hunter McElroy who have not gotten off to good starts because of this, that, or the other, even though they've had fast cars, can really start to make up some ground. So I'm going to call this moving day for Indy Lights, and I think this applies to IndyCar too. And really, it's the entire month. And we were talking about this on the IndyCar call. I think you'll hear a lot of conversation about points this weekend, and then the reality is, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I keep hate to keep harping on this, but why I'm not a huge fan of double points for the Indy 500 is because we don't talk about points for the Indy 500 because there are so many. Maybe we should. Maybe that's a debate. Maybe we should use the Indy 500 more as a platform to try to draw other people in. But there's only so much time available. And I think 
and I, I think I ultimately do agree on this, that the Indy 500 is a championship in and of, of itself. And it's, it frankly matters more than the IndyCar championship. So let's don't dilute the message. And, you know, you're not thinking about, hey, it's a good point scoring day. No, you're there to win the Indy 500. And that's the sole focus. And then after the race, if you don't win, or even if you do, then in the aftermath on shows like this or in the Detroit race the next weekend, you start talking about how well you did as far as the championship is concerned. So the, the long roundabout of that is there are three and a quarter point scoring opportunities. When you consider you can now get 12 points for winning the poll for the Indy 500, double points for the race, plus the GMR Indy IndyCar Grand Prix. So three plus point scoring opportunities in the next two weeks. So going a long way towards the championship uh, and some are going to be eliminated here two weeks from now. Yeah, I think as you started down the path with the Indy Lights discussion, I was already getting to moving day with, with IndyCar as well, because you're right, in a 16, 17-day stretch, there are 169 points that could be won, mm. which is, and this gives you some perspective, that's 25 more than the series leader has right now. So if somebody were to run the table, and it has happened because Simon Pagano did it uh, and uh, – and, you know, so he he didn't score the 12 points, but they only had nine, I think, at the time. But the point is, if he uh, if somebody like him gets on a roll on this particular month, you can power go one from, both. Right. Yeah. Power one both. I guess. Did he start on the pole in both? That was. Oh, that's I don't what know. I was trying. Yeah, that's to, a good question. I'll look that up. So, you know, did Power and Pagano score maximum points in those two events? Uh, but the point is, it, it can be moving day in a lot of fronts uh, for some for some drivers. You know, uh, and it wouldn't take much, for example, for Romain, Romain Grosjean, who I think is eighth in the point standings. If he were to win uh, Saturday's race, he could vault all the way to first in the championship, depending on what happened to other other drivers. So that's how. You know, that's how deep and competitive this field is. Only 10 points separate first from fourth in this series. And, you know, 10 points is the difference between first and second in a normal race. So there really could be some upheaval to the standings. And, and in fact, I would expect it. Uh, Pelot has the lead at the moment by a slim margin over uh, Scott McLaughlin. But but others are lurking. And, and uh, as I said, this could be a quite an upheaval over the next two weeks. Power started third in 18 when he won the 500. So he still scored some bonus points. That would have been seven at the time. It was a nine, eight, nine through one situation. If you made the fast nine and now it's 12 through one with the revised qualifying format that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And we'll get to again at the end of next week. We'll always remember, we always have the Friday refresher before qualifying and get into the fast lane and the slow lane and withdrawal. I think it's, going to be really simple this year as to how it's going to work but we'll get into that coming up next week you know i still see even four races in i i still think the top six are the six championship contenders now what changes that is if anyone else wins the indy 500 then they are a championship contender for example you mentioned grosjean um, VK, 
any of them, Erickson, Rahal, Colton Herta, they all have cars and programs that are good enough to still score some points and get on a roll in the second half. Otherwise, I'm not just saying the top six because they're the top six in points, but other than McLaughlin, he's the only one that's a little bit of surprise, and that's because I think a lot of us were wrong, that he's ahead of his development of where he is in year two in IndyCar and four races in. He has proved he's legit, as we both agreed last week. Is he going to win the championship? Probably not, but he's probably going to be in the top five all year. And what changes that dynamic, the way he can win the championship, is if he wins the Indy 500 and scores double points, then that's going to give him a little bit of a cushion, and it applies to anyone else down the line. Well, I remember that we started the season – uh, and I was taught, and I heard some, you know, they were talking about seventh in the standings for Scott McLaughlin, and I still thought that was optimistic. Uh, but Chevrolet has played a big role in that. Obviously, uh, the power plant's been really good this season. Honda seems to have even acknowledged that uh, Chevy's off to a, a really strong start and, and probably will be favored. This is me saying, probably favored to win the Indy 500, but they've won the first four races with. Uh, three Penske cars and an Aero McLaren SP car. So McLaughlin uh, has used that as an asset in his program, and he's won a race and looked good other places. So, yeah, I think he's a legitimate Indy 500 contender, as is Newgarden and Polo. And and you go down the line, uh, Power, obviously, Dixon, Pato. I mean, uh, I tell you, I've seen a lot from Renus VK in the last – last 10 days and and uh, the more I, I see of his confidence and he's coming back to a place where you know not only did he win last year's GMR Grand Prix qualified in the top four for the second year in a row well second as many attempts started on the front row just looks so much better this year you know I, I'm talking about just from a maturity standpoint he just looks older and more experienced, and and uh, he's had some good runs. I mean, he was sixth at, at uh, St. Pete, ran in the top ten at Texas, so I wouldn't discount uh, that Chevrolet program either. Let's, let's do this for a moment, um, because I'm getting this question a lot, is how many can win the Indy 500? So we're just going to go through the points, and I'm not talking about our Tier 1, you know, that these are your top five picks, but – you know, it's not going to take something absurd that they're going to have a car that's going to be good enough to be in the top three or four. And if things fall right with fuel strategy and cautions, they can win the race. Obviously, Polo, McLaughlin, Newgarden, Power, Pato Award, Scott Dixon. Uh, I would think Renus VK with the cars that they have and where he's going to start in the race. Grosjean, even though he's a rookie, He's going to figure this out in, in an Andretti car, and he's going to be good. I think Erickson is in that category. Graham Rahal has been super strong the last few years. Colton Herta, Simon Pagino, Alexander Rossi. Uh, it might be an uphill battle for maybe, but that for Sato, but that's that's probably inaccurate. Coin always has good cars, and we know we've talked before about how good Sato is. So now all of a sudden we're down to the top fourteen. The top fourteen, I think. All could win the race, and then you scatter through a few more that also could be in that category, like a Felix Rosenquist. I'm going to add him in that category, like Will Power and Simon Pagino. We're now to the point where Felix may need to win the Indy 500 uh, if they haven't already signed someone to replace him. But if it's still in doubt, if they haven't signed anyone, 
that's what will guarantee him to come back next year. So I was, I was scrambling. I was scrambling to write down all the names that you were, you were throwing out there. And I would agree with you. Let's just say the top 14 for sure. I don't know about Felix winning the Indy 500. So I'll leave him out for a minute, but Elio makes the list. That's 15. Jimmy makes the list. That's 16. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ed Carpenter, you know, you know, I'm, I'm still scrolling down. That's that's 17 with Carpenter. Uh, Marco would be 18. Kanan would be 19. Montoya would be 20. That's probably the list. I suppose Connors, you could give one of the Dreyer and Reinbold cars, but I don't Connor's going to so. have a good car. Connor, I, yeah, I, I, probably I frankly at this point, I would give Connor as good a chance as Marco. Um, I, I just I think. Marco is going to be someone that can win it, but he's not going to be, unless I'm shocked with the way things go in practice. I, it, It's just tough when you're in a part-time program, when you're not doing it all the time, and you're really not racing all the time. That one to me, now is he capable? Yes, I believe Marco is capable, but if he wins, that would be a very big surprise. That would be a bigger surprise to me than Felix Rosenquist or Marcus Erickson or a couple of other people that we've talked about, or Asado, you know, that kind of range, in fair, my mind. Fair enough, fair enough, but I would say it's 20 or 21 cars. And yeah. I don't know what really to do with the uh, the Dryer and Reinbold pair, because obviously Ferrucci has been terrific on the ovals. Uh, he and Sage Karam were both in the top 10 last year at Indy. Uh, so I, I'll stick it at 21, and, and you know, we can, we can decide you know, we what say. to do with Marco. What? Juan Pablo Montoya is not racing full time, but he is in a very good program with very good engineering and resources and has no pressure. So I'm going to still give him a chance. I'm going to put him in that category and it might take something a little bit unique happening. But it's so many times comes down to who's smart enough at the end. Now, the other part of it is, too, is, you know, are you willing to take the risk that you have to take at the end of a race when you may not need it as much as the other guy? Juan Pablo Montoya, in a Peacock conversation uh, that we had at the end of the test, and it was it stemmed from a listener question that I thought was kind of a vague question. What keeps you coming back? Well, it's the Indy 500. You know, this is the pinnacle. And Juan Pablo Montoya is just brutally honest. And it was, I don't know. I really didn't want to come back. They talked me into it. Uh, But then it it became, I'm glad I did. I'm still enjoying this. We've got a good car. By the way, how good was he? Did you see him on the F1 practice over the weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make that recommend. If, If Juan is ever at an IndyCar race that he's not doing, you know, we need to have him come sit in the booth for a little while because the guy is just brutally honest, tells you what's on his mind, has a good sense of humor, and, and is just fun. I have greatly enjoyed the last five years. I didn't deal with Juan early in his career. You know, he was gone before I started covering. So I'm guessing you knew a different Juan Pablo Montoya in 99 and 2000. And I saw him on the periphery kind of covering NASCAR. And, you know, he looked a little bit surly at times. But when he came back driving for Penske, I have had great, great cooperation from him. Um, yeah, he gets a little bit surly at times, but he, he wasn't he wasn't difficult. And 
now that he's part-time, it's even changed, and it's just happy-go-lucky Juan Pablo Montoya. This is all bonus. I'm doing what I want to do, and I'm going to have fun with it. Yeah, I would say in those early years when he first came to Card, he was could be a little prickly. Yeah, surly and prickly. Imagine. He was <laughs> he he was a little bit difficult at times. And he went to Formula One, and when he came back, you're right, it was a different one. I think he then had reached his pinnacle. You know, he had his Indy 500 win. He had his Series championship. You know, he he felt like he was you know, accomplished everything. And then he won Indy again. And I think in, in the last few years, it's really been his, his attention and focus on his son's racing career, which by the way, he told me the other day uh, when, when we were just kind of standing around talking that uh, I said, how soon till your son's in the Indy 500? He said, he'll be here by 25, 2025. If he's not in formula one, he'll be in one or the other. And I was like, wow. And, and, 25 seems like a long way away. It's not. It's just a couple, three years away. I think I think Sebastian is 17. Uh, so he really, that would put him here at about 20 years old. So uh, yeah, but I, would I ask, think that's I realistic. I would ask, of course it is. Yeah, I just hadn't thought about it in those terms that, uh, I mean, I still think of Sebastian as this little guy, you know, the little guy that yeah. I'd see at the racetrack. And I spent, um, during 2016, when I was doing uh, home visits, basically with with every Indy 500 winner that lived in the U.S., uh, I spent I spent a good day and with uh, the Montoyas down in uh, Key Biscayne, and it was uh, you know Sebastian was still still running around pretty relatively small, like 12 years old or so, but maybe 11. But um, so interesting. So I guess I would you know you're talking about Montoya. Do you feel differently? I assume then you're including in the list of guys that can win a Tony Kanaan and they have about the same type of program. Although kanan has been a little more active uh, on the ovals, but you know, their situations are similar and I think Tony can win. I think Montoya can win it. I would maybe rate Kanaan just a touch higher. Uh, but partly because I think Ganassi just has, more of a track record, but that may be inaccurate. Uh, there is really good engineering strength at Aero McLaren. Um, and then part of it may come down to maybe that shifts because I think you're right. I think Chevy is going to be slightly better. It's still going to be close enough where a Honda can win the race, but that may be the difference this year when it comes down to the very end. Uh, that has been the difference at times. You know, there was one year, I forget which year it was, but when Elio finished second, one of the other times he had a chance to win the race, and Honda was better that year. He he just it was one thing to run up front; it was another to pass him at the end. You just weren't weren't going to get that done, and so far that's kind of been the case in the other races. It may not apply, and they're doing everything they can to find that just little bit, even though there's not really any changes allowed at this point. There are still little things they can do in areas that. I don't understand, and most of us don't, with mapping and so forth, where, you know, whether it's just better uh, fuel mileage, better drivability, you know, which applies more in the road and street courses, but there are little things that they can do, and when they all put that fresh engine in there for the race, it might be a little bit better than the one that's been running right now, and that's one of the great unknowns that we enjoy. 
So the one thing that I think is interesting, I mean, we're, we're already sizing up the Indy 500 field, but uh, I think it's a, if 20 or 21, whatever our number kind of settles at, at who can win, I think, I think the, 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 the other 10 or 12 are probably uh, longer shots than we've seen in the last few years. I think there were, I think if we went back to last year's field, we would say there were more guys in that last 10 or 12 that could win the race under, under, you know, some circumstance I'm looking through, you know, I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think many of these rookies have a chance to win the Indy 500. They would have to literally steal the Indy 500. I just don't think, I mean, Calamilots looked pretty good on, on some moments this season. Um, Agreed. certainly Kyle other Kirkwood than Jimmy is, and Grosjean. Highly, yeah. Yeah. Other than Jimmy and Grosjean who, who are not first season drivers in this, in this field, you know, Malukas, uh, Kirkwood, you know, I don't feel like the, the strength that Dale Coyne is what it was, you know, maybe a year ago uh, in terms of the drivers who could win. Casado, we thought could win. Uh, Sato can win, but but I'm not sure Malukas can, for example. And I'm not sure sure Kirkwood and, and you know, even Hildebrand. I mean, as much experience as he has, I think that would be a, just a huge ask. Um, so, you know, and Dalton Kellett, you know, it would take it would take a lot. Um, you know, we didn't mention Jack Harvey. Um, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Would be interesting, but, but to the, to the overall point, I just feel like these, these, you know, what would be the first seven rows, 21 cars, they're as good as any, any 21 that that you've uh, put on the, on the field list the last, you know, five or six years This is a great group and the rookie class. I think we're going to see, you know, we've seen already a lot of young guys, uh, the podium at Barber uh, illustrated that the young guys are here and they're going to be here for a long time. Uh, but, you know, I don't I don't know, like if I don't think Christian Lungard and Kyle Kirkwood and David Malukas and and Ilot and DeFrancesco can win this year. You know, that's maybe the difference than in some years. And then when we get to that tier one. We'll see things in May that'll probably whittle it down. But right now, not seeing a whole lot, not learning a lot out of the test. You know, my potential tier ones are 10 to 12 deep. They're Pelot, McLaughlin, Newgarden, Power, Pato, Dixon. Um, and then I need to see more about Pagano and Castroneves, but I suspect they could be in there. You know, VK could be in there. Erickson, Graham, Colton could be in there. Rossi could be in there depending on how it mixes up. So, you know, I think I just named about 13, so that's not much of a tier one. So we will revise that and dwindle that list a little further on. In a moment, we'll get back to the IndyCar GP and who we expect this week, and we'll touch on that. We'll still have tomorrow night to do that. We'll roll through the Twitter inbox and plenty more coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. At Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan on Twitter, the GMR IndyCar Grand Prix, Saturday afternoon, rain or shine at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then practice starts next Tuesday for the Indianapolis 500. Still some tickets available for the race, but if you want to sit together, you might want to go ahead and order at this point. They are getting to be slim pickings. I get asked a lot, can it be a sellout? My guess is you could probably still buy tickets on race morning 
but I can't guarantee that. And I certainly can't guarantee that you can sit with a friend. It might be singles on race morning. So if you want to sit with people, and especially if you want to go with more than two, you better do that right now because I think it's very likely you will not find anywhere, no chance of finding four by the time we get to race week, and you probably won't be able to find two together. The only exception might be the north end of the racetrack, you know, between turns three and four. Uh, that's a place, I think, where you can still get, you know, fours together pretty well. Can you? But okay, I know good. That, but I know that, um, you know, anything on the front straightaway underneath, you know, what I call underneath out of the sun, uh, you, you're down to s- slim pickings. And same for the for the two vistas on the uh, south end of the racetrack. It's, you know, it's pretty well picked over. And that's great. I mean, I we're, we're just tracking really well, almost as well as 2016. I mean, it's just really going well. Uh, let's do some Twitter questions. I should probably pre-read these, but Fleetwood Marky Moose asks, when is the TV contract up? Hope NBC keeps it, but isn't more TV money the biggest driver of IndyCar adding new races? Track promoters aren't knocking down IndyCar's door with $2 million sanctioning fees, so future schedule growth is more track rental, which only happens if the TV money gets bigger. Agree? And he says Nashville is the exception, not the rule. So I would say in a perfect world, that would be fantastic if the TV money was big enough where it is shared with the tracks like NASCAR. And that TV pie is so large that that's been the model for, I don't know how long, do you know? That they've shared a very good percentage, uh, probably, so my guess is that this, this probably started in 2000. Because I think the tracks used to be able to negotiate their own TV contract. That's why you had the Nashville Network doing races and ESPN and uh, who else was doing races? You know, NBC did races. But you had three or four or five different networks. CBS did. Yeah, CBS was the major when they had the Daytona 500. But it all got consolidated a bit more in 2001 with Fox and NBC splitting it it up. And I think that might be when they started to get the tracks to agree to not go out and sell their own TV deal like they could still do in radio, but not for TV. They gave a, a portion of that to the track, and it's a big number. So unfortunately, right now, that number is not big enough in IndyCar to be able to share it, and it really make a difference. Uh, unfortunately, with the tracks. So that could be a strategy if somehow it grows. But it's going to take the, the TV ratings are going up, but they'd have to go up a lot more for the TV revenue to significantly grow. What works in IndyCar and every other live sporting event's favor is that sporting rights continue to grow, even if the ratings are declining and IndyCars are actually growing. But even declining sports properties are growing in rights fees because no one watches commercials for scripted programs, or very few people do, but they do for sports. So a sports property, even if it has half the audience of a scripted program, 
I don't know what the, the ratio is, but it can have significantly less viewership and still be more valuable to advertisers because people are more likely to watch the commercials. So that could be a path, and that would be something that Mark Miles and Penske Entertainment would have to decide. Do we think that's worth sharing some of the TV revenue to encourage people, or is it one and the other? You know, do you just keep it all yourself and just say, you know what, we'll just uh, – we'll make it a smaller sanctioning fee to go to the tracks that we think fit us the best. Yeah, that's, that's really the model. That's uh, you know, that's how it has been in recent years. And, and, you know, they IndyCar would or the series and, and the sport would keep the TV money and then, and then just decide each race accordingly. <laughs> uh, I had a, a funny tweet from Gavin Newton today. I don't know if he's a listener to the show or not, but shout out to Gavin who I had to go back and this, he asked if, uh, uh, he said, I know you just ran the marathon. No, I have never run a marathon. I ran a half marathon. Is that something you'd be interested in? So I, I guess he had tweeted saying he's going to be in town and wanted to know if people wanted to run with him. And then I looked up his bio and he's 17 years old. So my response politely was, no, I'm not running with any 17 year old. No, thank you. Too old. Can't keep up. Uh, but you know, unfortunately there will not be any running or much of anything going on in the month of May until we get to June, but hopefully Gavin finds a running partner when he's in town for the month. Jeff Wood tweets with regards to the Carvana concerns discussed last night. The same is happening in Des Moines with High V, who's had three recent layoffs. They're doing a lot of activation for IndyCar in the stores, which is great, but optics are bad. Yeah, you can go back to last night's. So we won't rehash this, and it's something every company has to deal with. If you've got layoffs, can you continue to spend on entertainment, or do you say, you know what, this is working for us? We need to keep down this path, but it certainly is something that we will watch. Paul at PKDODI Mead says, really enjoy trackside. Also interesting to hear views on F1 uh, in Miami. While here in the UK, F1 is popular. I also enjoy Indy. Don't view F1 and Indy as competitors. They don't share tracks, locations, sponsors, etc. I think they are complimentary. That's I think that that's true. I think there is going to be a competitive aspect in that. It just depends on the way you want to look at it. And I think the best way to probably look at it is you need to try to use that growing popularity in motorsport to your advantage, get creative, make it work for you rather than just be annoyed that another form of motorsport is doing so well right now. Yeah, it's, it's a tough thing because you and I are, you know, in the group of people that, that enjoy both. Um, we don't, I mean, I know we, we favor IndyCar because we're more ingrained with it. We know more of the people we've, we've watched it longer. Uh, but you know, I have, I've watched every, every lap of, of every formula one race this season. Um, yeah, I didn't fast forward through anything. I didn't, you know, I've tried to watch most of the practices, I've seen, I think, all of the qualifying sessions except for uh, part of Miami's. But uh, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. But it's going to be competitive, and I and I wouldn't blame anyone for being competitive. I still have a hope that in some fashion this works for IndyCar because there is a growing interest in this type of racing. It's different than NASCAR. It's not a knock on NASCAR, but in a lot of people's mind. Formula car racing is sleeker. It's more cool. It's more about technology and the things that companies are interested in. And they're going to ask, can we entertain one of our groups at a Formula One race? What's it cost to get on a car? And they're going to see that number and they're going to gag. 
and then they're going to inquire, well, what else is possible out there? And IndyCar is possible. And you've still got an awful lot of cool factor, and you're going to find better access. Now, Formula One, it's worked well with the you can't touch this and make it very difficult, and that has worked to their advantage as, as a strategy. Uh, but I do think there are opportunities for IndyCar as some companies – are going to get priced out of the Formula One market and just realize, boy, we're spending an awful lot of money. That sticker's very small. They only gave us four passes, and we never even met the driver. Uh, so th that's what I hope can work for IndyCar's advantage because the access and the opportunities are so much bigger. From Nat at Nat K., uh, says, with all the Miami F1 coverage and the IndyCar drivers in attendance, might this serve as an impetus to bring another oval homestead back to the schedule? No, I don't. I think that'd be coincidence. Uh, homestead is not, it's not even Joe Robbie Stadium or whatever the Dolphin Stadium is called these days. Um, it's a long ways away. Now, that, that's not to say that Homestead is not an option. You know, we were hearing that a little over a year ago that it was being discussed for the schedule. Or maybe it was two years ago. So as you're looking for ovals at a time of the year when you need racetracks, I, I still think it's a possibility. But attendance there in the past wasn't very good. And just the fact that so an oval race at Homestead is nothing at all like what just happened last weekend. There's no correlation, right? Yeah, that's right. You, I think your okay. word coincidence, uh, coincidence would be uh, the operative word there. And so, you know, it's uh, I, I'd love to go back to Homestead for a lot of reasons. Uh, the crowd didn't uh, wasn't exciting. It wasn't it wasn't uh, big enough, honestly. And, you know, I don't know where the next oval comes from, but obviously, uh Roger Penske and Mark Miles are looking for, for more under the right circumstances, but uh, I, I don't know if it's Homestead. Homestead is unfortunately too far away from Miami. So the people, and I've talked about this before, when I'm suggesting what's the one race you have to go to, it makes it an easier decision if you can do more than just go to the racetrack. Well, if you go to Homestead, yes, you can. And you can stay in Key Largo or you could stay in South Beach or in Fort Lauderdale. But an hour commute every day is a bit much for people. And that's not super convenient. Can be done. And what I would encourage is just do that at the beginning or the end. But going back and forth every day is not fantastic. Uh, and it's just a little more challenging. So it's, it's a different type of crowd that you would get for a noble race uh, in Homestead. Uh, Jonathan Bishop. At Darth Binkley says, I've had AT&T for years. My service was great on race day last year. So happy to hear oh, good. that. And he says, I know the crowd was reduced, but I used to have problems well before the stands were full. I'm hopeful it's improved for all carriers. John Solowitz says, what's your opinion with the leader diving down on the inside of the front backstretch? It's not a safe move coming out of four, especially with the attenuator at pit entry. We've seen some nasty crashes there. Well, it's kind of where the arc of, of the car carries uh, the car. Um, they all do, do you it. You think they he's talking more about like the Simon, the Simon Pagino defensive line where we've seen some drivers come down 
One, it's a defensive line. Two, it's trying to break the draft. We have seen late in the race, maybe Power did this as well, but there were a couple of laps where, oh, for a brief moment, it looked like they were going into the attenuator. And, you know, they're, that's how talented these guys are. They're going 215 yeah. miles per hour, and they're missing it by seven inches. Yeah, they're, they've gotten closer than, than maybe most of us feel comfortable with. Um, but the tactic late in the race is you got to do what you got to do. And uh, yeah. I expect that to continue. Well, and there's, there's nothing you can legislate for that. You can't dictate where people are going to go on the track. So it's all a matter of, you know, doing what you think is smart and what is best in that situation. Oh, by the way, um, someone sent me this message and I forgot to get it in last night. But where was it? It was after we were talking about Sarah Fisher. Uh, they sent me a link to actually a video she did on the Yard of Bricks yesterday, and she mentioned that she will be the driver for the entire race. So she's not just the honorary or the celebrity driver. She is the pace car driver for the Indy 500, and our source on this will be Sarah Fisher from a video. So there we go. <laughs> I like that. I think uh, I thought it made sense. I didn't. I didn't know why, you know, you go to the trouble of putting her in the car and then replacing her unless you know she just wanted to watch the race but but she enjoyed that role and and i think it's uh i think it's great she continues in the in the working part of the of the pace car duties all right we'll get to news of the day get working on that kurt and anything we've missed coming up in just a moment it's trackside 93.5 107.5 the fan hi this is simon pagino and you're listening to trackside it's time for the Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway News of the Day. Make plans to visit the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. Saturday night, the Indianapolis Speedrome again features family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun, topped off by the Speedrome's world-famous, wild and unpredictable figure eight and the return of big wheel races, kids ages five and under. Adult tickets cost only $10. Kids eight and under are free. Speedrome.com. News of the Day, Kurtz. I think it comes from Renus VK, although I'm not sure it's it's actually news, but uh, I'm not sure he's told us anything, but I, I like what he had to say today. He was on a conference call with reporters and was asked about Ed Carpenter's recent comments about trying to keep him and, and work out a deal for 2023. And Renus said, well, for now, and that's, that's how you always paraphrase, you know, how quantify these things or at least uh, couch them. Well, for now, I like that the team is eager to keep me. I'm really enjoying my time at the moment. Yes, we're only four races into the season. The month of May is coming. So that's really our focus, just focusing on the track, what's happening there. And then he said, yeah, we've had the first talks about the future. So that's definitely put in motion now. Again, he's couched it. He hasn't said, I'm going to stay. But he, he does show enthusiasm for the conversations they're having. Uh, maybe he's just being kind, but he's ready to, uh, he's at least engaged in the talks with Ed Carpenter racing. And I like that. You know, my philosophy on this front is I, we talked about this with Simon Pagino when he was at Sam Schmidt's team and with Joseph Newgarden, when he was with Ed Carpenter's team, I'm not the driver. It's not my world, but as someone that likes IndyCar, I'm hoping that Rena stays in this situation. Now I understand 
there are some things you can't turn down. And normally it's Team Penske. Some other words, other ones, you know, maybe you you it's it's not an automatic to go somewhere else. The grass is not always greener. Maybe ask Felix Rosenquist if the grass is greener, leaving somewhere, going somewhere else for a better contract. Uh, maybe he would have had the same results or bad luck had he stayed at Chip Ganassi Racing. Maybe it's the arrow screen, whatever. But he's in a good situation. He's got a good relationship with his engineer, Matt Barnes, who is also, according to reports last winter, in demand. There, I think Racer.com, maybe, maybe someone else, reported that he was either offered or at least under consideration to replace Gavin Ward at Team Penske for Joseph Newgarden. So here's the other one. I, I hope that you know he doesn't uh, leave and then take Matt Barnes with him somewhere else. But uh, Matt's an Ed Carpenter guy. He's been there a long time. I'm going to guess that he's pretty entrenched. If you turn down Team Penske, if he did, I don't know whether he did or not. I've not asked him. But if that happened, my guess is he feels pretty good about where he's at at this point. So uh, I'm rooting that they work things out. I would also say just because something looks a little shinier, then it's not necessarily automatically better. You might find you're in a really good position. You know you're going to have cars that are fast enough to win the Indy 500 each year at Ed Carpenter Racing. They've shown you can be fast on road and street courses. I don't know what happened the end of last year. Uh, Maybe a lot of it was the driver uh, getting off base after the bicycle crash. But beginning of last year, the beginning of this year, that team has shown they have the pace. Maybe it comes down to the other team can just offer you twice the amount of money, and if they do – then no, no one can say say that you should turn that down. So that's going to be fascinating, and it's it's another one of the things to watch as we move into the earliest silly season we've ever seen. Other news item I'll throw at you, not quite as interesting, but for those that like to go karting at Fast Times Indoor Karting, I have news to report that you no longer have to watch the same safety video that Pippa Man and I recorded, it seemed like a decade ago that I've forgotten about, and occasionally I will get texts from people. Uh, Yeah, I saw your silly video there again. Now, the negative of that is it's still going to be a video with me, but it's a different script, and Connor Daly was my co-host, and then afterwards he gave me full details on the hot tub he's placing outside his bus at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which turns out to be, uh, I think, a blow-up pool that he's going to have a lot of fun with. So there you go. Some hard-hitting and not-so-hard-hitting news for our Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway news of the day at Indy's Dirt Track. Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. Sprint cars dominate the month of May. This Sunday, the 15th, the Jonathan Birds 410 Sprint Cars headline a full night of action, along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley Unlimited 2 Midgets. Uh, And the UMP Modifieds making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th CircleCityRaceway.com. We're out of time, Kurt. We'll try again tomorrow night. It's great. We got another night. Uh, in fact, two more nights this week and five the next uh, each of the next two weeks. So, you know, it's up to Jake and Mike Thompson to bring us home tonight. Uh, Beyond the Bricks is coming up next. If we need a guest tomorrow, I'm putting you in charge of that. I'm at the racetrack today, tomorrow. Uh, doing dad and uh, commercial manager type things. So you're in charge of content for tomorrow night's show, and I will follow along. Jake and Mike are coming up next. For Sam and Kurt, I'm Kevin. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.